If you just if, if you threw Doom in there somewhere, if I threw Doom in there, totally describe my entire day every day. Well, I mean, go ahead and start you one. You can call it the uh, metal, the, the Doom Metal Nerd Podcast. <laughs> metal Thrashing Nerds, you know, and that's that's funny you should say that because nobody says much to me about it. But when people, when I'm working with the bands on the label, I've had a couple of them. I've noticed they've described me to other people as he's a bit of a nerd, but in a good way. And I'm like, you have to know me pretty well to even pick up on that because I'm not really, but yeah, I'm kind of a, yeah, I probably know more about movies and TV lore than I do about metal lore. You know, I'm almost I'm ridiculous <laughs> about it. I'm almost really the am. same way with like comics, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I was never a comics person, but a whole lot of my friends are. Right. Well, I mean, I can definitely tell you're into the sci-fi stuff because there's a lot of, you know, your music that's spacey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you could possibly be referring to when I did the Negative Wall, the one project with Negative Wall. Yes, yeah. And um, what we did is we, the idea was to kind of throw it out there. We did do a cover, which wasn't sci-fi. But the other songs on there were all sci-fi. And what I was amusing myself doing was coming up with lyrics I was creating the language with which to speak as if the idea is that we were actually a band from another planet that was similar to Earth, um, KP-22, which is a real thing. Right. So, and, um, so, I, so I was making a language that was that would work in that culture. So, so whenever I would, so I would be singing something, if I couldn't find a rhyme for something, I just literally looked up some Hawaiian stuff and very valley and set it backwards and made it fit, changed it to fit whatever would make it rhyme and be able to hold out the note or whatever. And then I started writing down like, um, okay, these are adjectives, these are verbs. Now, I totally got into it. I, I got, I got pretty far into it. Nothing super complicated. But then I started looking up all the different languages made up, um, in uh, you know books and movies and TV and um, I've been watching Game of Thrones a lot and there's different languages than that. Um, so I started. So I started. It wasn't Star Trek. There's the um, Klingon language. Language. Yeah, I was actually about to ask if you're a Star Trek fan because that is not as much as other people, but yeah, I like it. When I think of uh, that that nerdy element of writing your own language, I always think of people learning Klingon or you know, uh, like Lord right. of the, like Lord of the Rings of like Elvish, you know, not Elvis, but Elvish. Yeah, I looked that up too. The Elvish. This um, the, the the language I was. Trying Trying to, in case we kept developing negative wall, the language I was trying to invent would have been mostly vowels because vowels. Uh, here's my theory on singing: is that it basically is you're saying all the vowels, 
yeah, and it's a very valley thing to sing. And as you're saying, you're, the consonants are just interruptions of the vowels. So I try to sing in a very valley. I'm not a great singer. First, let me throw that out there. I am not a great singer. I know that. If anybody wants to point it out, I go, well, <laughs> not, we haven't been, you know, <laughs> nobody's been voting me in for great singer. I have like an octave and four notes. <laughs> you know? so, but I work with what I've got. I work with what I got. And that's what you have to do with whatever you're doing with your instruments that you do is that maybe you're not the, the king of conga drums or whatever, but you just work with the licks that you can do. Well, I mean, it works to be for, creative with those and place them well in your arrangements. It worked for Ozzy. I mean, you know, I mean, except when yeah. he was on drugs. As a matter of fact, I, I have probably about the same range as Ozzy. I, I sing along with Ozzy just fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you did do a cover of uh, Wheels of Confusion. Yes, that's on um, what was officially known as Sorted Songs from a Cold Gray Sun. Right. Which is really, I went ahead and released it because I hadn't had anything out for 2019. So all of a sudden, at the end of, two, of December, I suddenly released this four songs EP, which was a really cool package. I got to do, well, I thought it was cool. They, um, for once, I actually used one of my own paintings as the cover. I had never done that before and still may never again. That might be the only one. Right. But I used one of my own paintings for the cover. It's four songs. The EP is a 45 because that's just the way the, the mastering came out for the manufacturer. And they said, we're going to have to do this as a 45. I went, okay. I forgot about it. Here's what's funny. So the first song on there is a cover of Wheels of Confusion. Yeah. By Black Sabbath. Um, I figure if everybody else can take a turn, if anybody should, I should. So, <laughs> so I did. Everybody takes a turn. It's And then and people whine about it. I go, well, what do I just don't get a turn? Everybody else does. If Vader can do it, you to. can do it. <laughs> Here's what's funny. I got it. Okay, it showed up. It landed at Dubalant. I took out a copy, placed it on the... <laughs> I forgot to put it on 45. It was still 33 on the third table. Anyway, and it came on. And I was like, wow, this is heavier than I remember. I really like it. <laughs> it was about a minute into it before I realized before I realized that I didn't have it on the proper speed. And I thought, you know, I really like it like that. <laughs> I wish I'd done it that way. Did it catch you when you started hearing your voice and it went, well, <laughs> it would have, if, if I hadn't of, I noticed it once it hit the strings part that I put in there, and it's not strings, it's really my bass. Um, using a couple of delays and a lot of shine on the reverb. I was going to ask you about uh, on the new album, on Doomsday Deferred, I was going to ask about why the rotting sun speaks in tongues. Uh, what are you using for that bass tone? That was me. Um, was it, okay. Because um, it, it, it almost sounds like there's an octave in it or something, you know? There is. Uh, there is. There, um, well, what I'm doing there, there's a little bit of volume affecting of backwards. Are you familiar with Triptronics in Crimson? Uh-uh. Okay, it's um, sort of like playing along with yourself, like you're, uh, you create a backwards 
recording, so there's a lot of it eases into the notes. Right. So what I was doing was easing into the note backwards using the volume knob or um, using a looper that has a reverse on it. And then playing along with it, there's a lot of delay going on. So then I play along with that forward. And, you know, and I very quickly have changed the tone of my bass, played along with it forward while it's delaying, still using the other sound. And I come back out of that. Um, and the harmonics are me just staying that second thing. But I go to, I push the wah pedal all the way down to hit those really hard harmonics that are super fairyland tinkly. Right. And then I go back to the earlier backwards loop. So it's really a dance on pedals. It's really unique. <laughs> it's, I wasn't sure. It, I wasn't even sure whether to put that on there. But what, what it was was that was the original piece of that. It seems a little longish, but so I was making sort of a long instrumental piece. That was the idea was that it was that was actually going to be part of Blood of Mars, the last song on the album. Right. And what happened is what I was doing is I was going to do that, do that whole piece that became well of Rodding Sun. Um, some times. So I was going to ease into the song gradually, you know, volume wise. I was going to bring up the master till it actually entered the song. And then, and so I recorded all these drums, doing things, all this travel drum stuff. And I was going to ease them in also, depending on where, where it sounded like. Well, the piece itself got so interesting to me, I decided to leave it that long rather than I just made it be long enough to where I could find places in it to hack into the song while I started making the, the song itself and then I realized it's just kind of too long back attachment. so I made it be a piece by itself that's a nice accompaniment to it's sort of so now what it does is sort of fades out and Gradually, the other song starts in the graduation of the song after it comes in and brings it back up. So it's sort of one piece, but I went ahead and made it be two pieces on the album. And the talking in tongues business, what that was, is because there's that high-pitched, ridiculous, the, the female voice you're hearing. Yeah. So throughout the album, I think it's on three or four different songs, you can catch this high female childish voice that seems to be giving demands or, or telling what it is or whatever you want to interpret it as. Um, that's the, so I gave that, the idea of that is I gave that per the title of the sun. This is the sun that looks out all over everything. Sort of like Teletubbies. <laughs> I just now thought of that. Like there's a sun looking out all over the Anyway, I'm sure you spent some time watching Teletubbies. <laughs> no, I didn't, but I've seen that creepy baby in the show. Uh, yeah. Up in the sky. I have seen that. And I'm like, ugh, that's so creepy. Anyway, so anyway, so so Charisma is the voice of the sun. And she's giving demands or whatever in her made up language, which is all vowels, if you hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> 
And a lot of that is I actually had her saying things. She actually is singing something. But what I did is I went in and used the uh, auto volume thing and and I meticulously, manually went in there and pulled out all the consonants in her in her yelling. Really? So yeah, if you saw the track, it actually looks like a whole bunch of like yeah. tons of pyramids. All it's very extreme. It's up down, up down, up down, up down, up down, and it's not random. I actually went through bit by bit and pulled out all our consonants. That's meticulous work. I've actually well, it done. Was meticulous. It, I actually started recording the album in January of 2018. You know, I'm just you know, with it in 2021. Oh well, we had a rough couple of years there. Uh, most of it I recorded during 2020. I was planning it that way. Um, so what sorted songs get back that? What sorted songs was that was actually part of the same sessions. But those four songs, I wanted the album to be more aggressive than the first one. Right. And I wouldn't say upbeat, but just shorter songs, more aggressive, more more going on. A little and more energy. Those, yeah, and those four songs just happened to be, I love them, but they were very, you know, they were slow, they were long, they were... Um, they're of the nature of that album, a companion to it, but I didn't feel like, I feel like if those were on that album, it was taking away from it, the flow of it. Right. So I decided to pull out these songs, these particular songs, and make them, and I, so I just wasn't going to use them. Then I thought, I hadn't put anything out all year, and I went, you know what, this could be an EP, because I just noticed something, all four of those songs actually hit each other. Right. And so side two of it is, what is it? Hollow Heart. And it melts into Sad Stormy Sunday. So I feel like that's almost one piece. Yeah, you were talking about the first album being very relaxed. And I, I'm actually going to say that that's something I, I, I can, you know, that's one of those albums I can put on and kind of just sit back and chill out and listen to it. They told me they put on that album and they said, I couldn't listen to it. They said, I lay down on the couch to listen to it. Within five minutes, I was asleep. I said, did you smoke anything? I wasn't asleep. I'll be when I fell asleep. I, I think that for me, it's it's that musician thing, and it's interesting to me. You know, it's right. Yeah, I guess it's yeah. The first album was done uh, completely different than the second one. It was um, it was recorded almost basically live. The drums and the basses are live yeah, in you, giant rooms. You had told me you kind of did it in like a, I think you said you took a three take like you had like a three take rule and kept the best of those takes was it? Yeah that's what we did we actually knocked it out pretty quick because we spent probably I think I spent three days setting up the bases because I had speakers and different things all around the room and there were I don't know how many mics were in the room I can't remember I know there was, for instance the the 15 that was on the floor was being mic'd by a sub kick turned backwards, catching it coming off the back of the room, the sub kick that you would use on a kick drop. Okay. So it was very... So what I'm doing, so that had a very muffled sound to it. Right. And you would think, oh, that's a terrible sound. Why would I use that? Well, that's not the only sound you're going to hear. So the room is mic. There was a 16-foot mic up in the air. There was a sub kick down below on that speaker cabinet. There were four different cabinets in the room spread apart. There were, I think, eight different mics doing eight different things in eight different spaces. 
And it took me about three days to actually get what I wanted. Right. Two full 12 hour days. And I, and I got it. And then the drummer came. So I told him, I said, what we're going to do is this. Because we don't really know the songs very good. A couple of them we hadn't even. He said, is there enough songs? I said, it will be. Because we're going to make a couple of them up on the spot. <laughs> I think it worked out really well for you, though. And uh, so, yeah, so we recorded it basically live. And uh, the first song on the album, that is actually the first time we played the song. We just followed along. If you listen closely, you can hear me playing notes. You think there's a pattern. And then you go, oh, he hit a different chord that the third time around. Oh, that's because I, I swung my hand up and down and it passed the spot. But you know what? It sounded okay to me. So that's what we did. I, had, I told him, I said, we're going to do each song three times. This is going to be kind of a, a rough album. I said, we're going to uh, let the session run, and it was stop, and you, you count it off. Don't say the last number. So it's one, two, three. Just don't say last for recording. For and then, um, and see, that's what we'll do. We'll just, well, I'm not even going to stop the session. We just play it three times, and we'll take the best one mistakes and all. And so when we did Little of Crimson D, the first song there, I said, um, just kind of do this. I think I told him to play something else. And I was, just kind of do this, kind of a beat right here, and you'll hear me hesitate. It's slow enough. And if I do this, just kind of throw in a feel where you feel like it. It's a very four four lines and a chorus, four lines and a chorus type song. You'll see, and you'll know when we're ending because I'm just going to and you're just stop what I do. Yeah. And, um, and we did it. We and I, he said, uh, "What are you going to play?" I said, "No, I hadn't really done it yet. <laughs> I just started." Move my hand up and down on the intro. I went, there you go. I had the lyrics in front of me, and I went, there's, there's lyrics, and I'm just going to kind of follow the lyrics and, and do what's coming out of me. And I was very excited about it because I was like, wow, you know, people rehearse like a year to record stuff. And I said, we just kind of made it Jammed up. It out, yeah. And I went, this is, this is a really cool technique. We did it again on the new album, Do the State of Ferds. Yeah. Um, we recorded a drum track. The drum track for Rolling My Own. Yep. Um, it, we recorded a drum track with no music. He just played. Then I came back, sat down with the drum track, and I just sat down and let it rip whatever came out of me playing along with it. And that's what you're hearing. It's, as a matter of fact, we decided to add the song to live sets in the future because we got such good feedback on it that we weren't expecting in reviews. Right. So now I have to go, me and him have to go learn it. I don't, I don't even know what I did. I said, <laughs> went, what did I do? Let me listen to this. Because I really was just playing off the cuff. And I, and I went, even the lead, what lead? I just went, I'll just do this. So I can see that the lead's not particularly unique, but it's just some guy jamming, you know? And I'm like going, that's just kind of what I did. So now I have to go back and go, okay, that's funny. So he and I, uh, at the last practice last week, did try to play it. He played it fine. We tried to play it. I didn't bother to sing it because I got see if I can play what I'm seeing there. So he goes, um, so the, I got to the lead. I kind of did the lead stuff. It was different than the album, but it was pretty kind of the, the highlights were there. Yeah. It's still me. I told him, I said, you know, live, we could just double this. I could just jam this all day, really. But where we got messed up was at the end, because at the end, he did uh, some fun drum stuff that he didn't remember even doing. And I said, oh, yeah, you did it. 
And I said, as a matter of fact, I didn't know where you were going with it when I sat down and played with it off the cuff. And that's why at the end, you see, hear me going, I'm kind of just doing stuff until I hear you go, of course, I could see, I could visually see in Pro Tools where he ended. So it's a little cheating. But I just kind of went, da 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 <laughs> yeah, and I've been wanting to ask you too. Uh, we're, I'm kind of going back a little bit because we were talking about the, the cover to start with, uh, the Black Sabbath cover. I'm kind of curious, what? How did you come about doing a uh, a Carol King song on the first one? And that's sunny. Oh man, well that's a real good personal story. That's a okay, good song. Um, there's a real. As a matter of fact, I even uh, choked up and got a tear one time. I played. I've ended every show with it except for. Uh, another song but anyway um, I pretty much end every show with it Corpus song by Carol King my um, okay here comes a really heartfelt story my first wife passed away about 11 years ago right um, this was one of her favorite songs when she passed away, we, and no one really knows why, she just I came home and found her dead. She just died in her sleep, sitting in bed, sitting up, watching TV. And they tell you in the corner, said they don't even know what she said. He said, she just stopped and people do that. He just, just didn't take another heartbeat, didn't take another breath, we don't know. She just stopped. And I went, wow, I didn't even know people could do that. He just said, uh-huh. It happens. So, you know, they tested her for everything. Everything's fine. So, I don't know. So, anyway, years later. So, the next day, after the, the, they came, took the body from the house, it happened at home. Um, we had a CD player that when something was paused and waiting to play, the little light would beep on it. Yeah. So, the next morning, and I'm, I'm suddenly thrown into being an event planner for a funeral. And, you know, they don't give me any time for this. And just, no, they don't. And I saw the light. And I said, what did she have on? She, I, I didn't leave anything in there. She left something in there. I went, oh, my God. What did she leave in there? I mean, can you imagine the feeling of that? She put no, it there. All. <laughs> it's still active. It's still active. Yeah, it was it, like it's it's dead. For you. So I'm like, what is this about? Um... So I went over there, and if you take it out, you don't know what song it was. So I pushed play. It was Porpoise Song by Carol King, but done by the Monkees. Right. And um, it was one of her favorite songs. And I and I said, and she left it. It happens to be a song about suicide. If you don't know, the song sounds happy, but it's actually kind of dark. Well, yeah, that's most of the 60s. Song from head. So, um, yeah, exactly. It's a big song. So I was like, oh, my God. I mean, is there something we just don't know about? So I called the corner again. Hey, you're going to do an autopsy, right? I want to know what's going on. <laughs> anyway, so later I began messing around with it. And I said, you know, I could do this song. I could do it. I could. Let me see how it sounds. I started doing it. I didn't show Eric what the, he didn't know the song. Right. So um, I just, what I did is I let him hear the Carol King demo tape, which is much different than anybody's version of it. It's just her own piano. Right. And I took off the intro and just kind of changed it. You know, I'm, I shortened it and made it a little more to the point. 
And uh, so anyway, to this day, I end all the shows with it. I have anyway so far, except for after I get done with it, then I do, just to give me time, I do Metal Merchants by Hallow's Eve. Right. But if they don't give me time, they don't give me a middle urgent. A historical yeah, piece. <laughs> I'm giving you 30 minutes worth of stuff. If you want metal urchins, they, if you care anything about it, give me five more minutes. I can play that song too. And they, oh, no, we got to move this thing along. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want. Later, don't ask me about it. Hey, can right. those teams complain? I'll go, well, you know, you kind of had that there, but you didn't do it. <laughs> uh, I mean, it wasn't him, but it's close. Close to your going to get. That's odd to think. That's odd for me to think about Carol King on a piano with that too, because I think of her so much as a bass player. Because I think about that. Uh, I, I think about her with uh, uh, her session work, and I think about her playing bass for um, the Beach Boys. <laughs> Things like that. <clears throat> the um, the wonders of the sixties. There's a great movie called The Wrecking Crew that goes into a lot of that. Yeah, I had recently watched a documentary about Brian Wilson, and it showed you know an actress playing Carol King. And playing, oh, okay. playing bass in it, and that kind of got me into studying on her a little bit because I, I picked up bass in the past few years. Yeah, um, but anyway, that was the story of Pork Porpoise Song. Yeah, that's... and that was, um, and it was, it was very heartfelt. And like I said, when I'm on stage singing it, I, I'm not just up there saying stuff. I'm up there actually meaning the song and feeling it. I'm actually emoting, and I try to actually be in the moment. And uh, and I do play it a little differently every time. I have another drummer named Patrick Salerno from the Grave Next Door. Grave Next Door and Tommy Star with doing a whole bunch of shows coming up. I'm planning on, my goal is 100. I've got 18 booked right now. Uh, almost, the, almost a quarter. <laughs> and Patrick is going to play drums on some of those shows rather than Dennis. Right. Well, uh, Doc Toad, about six of them. Uh, he came to play with me and he said he'd been playing along with the recordings, but he got here and he came to rehearse with me and he realized, he goes, you don't play anything like on the albums. I go, no, I'm really off the cuff. I, I might do anything. Your job is to just go with it. <laughs> I said, I don't have a plan. Well, I'm up here and I'm, I'm playing and I'm doing emotionally what I feel that day. Some days it may be a little slower, maybe a little faster. Some days I do a different kind of thing in the middle. I might even just hold a note and start talking about it. I said, your job is just to keep up, is to keep up with all that. I'm pretty close to what you hear on the album, but yeah, I, you know, I'm doing it by how I feel. Right. So uh, when I sing Porpoise songs sometimes, I, like I said, I have gotten a tear. I just choked up a couple of times. Because I know what it's about for me. It's about, for me, the experience that I associate with was finding what my wife left me after she died. That's an, well, that's an important thing with music, too, is uh, it, you add those personal elements in. At right. least for me, in a way, it's always been that way. I, I've never been one to write lyrics or anything for anything I've worked with. Like when we recorded Malvient with you, I wrote the riffs, but for a lot of the riffs, but I, I you know, tr you, you try to put yourself in that. And, yeah, and that's I, what that, 
I, I think that's important. And, 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 and even with a cover you like that, you can express yourself. But I think people end up getting whatever they want to out of it anyway. Because what I associate my favorite, let's say, Jethro Tull song with is not what they might have missed by it. Right. I'm saying Jethro Tull because I'm thinking of like high school. Right. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've done that before too. Yeah, I, I, my meaning isn't what they miss. It, it's reminding me of something completely unrelated. I mean, it's rock and roll all night and party every day reminds me of the time I had a wreck in my dad's car driving it for the first time ever. Thanks. When Thanks, really kids. you should be thinking about Detroit Rock City. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly. But that wasn't the song. The song that was on was rock and roll all night and party every day. But I, when it went, bam, and I went, oh, crap. <laughs> That's gonna kill me. And in the meantime, there's you know, the voice of Gene Simmons going, Rock and roll all night. And I'm like, going, yeah, yeah, right. That's not what's gonna happen. <laughs> you were talking about that, and I thought about I had a friend in high school who he had gotten in a wreck, his dad had gotten in a wreck, and his uncle had gotten in a wreck. And they all had the same song playing. Oh my gosh. It was Running with the Devil by Van Halen. They would not oh let my you, gosh. He would not. I was I almost played it in the car one day and he was like dude you gotta cut that off I was like why and he told me why and I was like oh yeah. <laughs> it's crazy there's certain songs that are all, that always seem their way their way into the tour van whenever we whenever I go on the road there's a couple of songs that keep showing up and I go why do we keep they're not even my favorite songs they just happen so when I hear those songs I think of I think of the long highway 10 on the way to Texas and right it looks the same you know or you're in that area where all coming out of buildings where all the uh, bridges are over the black water it's the same songs every time we go through there how does that happen let's see if we can work into I wanted to ask you about your record label yes which takes up all my time (laughs) how did you come about starting it was it just a need for you to have an outlet for yourself to put your own music out or at first that kind of that is what because at first um so i had the the the, the early stuff i believe it was porpoise song was one of them so i had the early couple of songs just sitting there i made a proper epk and I sat there and I sent it out to all the appropriate labels that had Doom on them. They weren't necessarily Doom labels, but they were most, they had a lot of Doom on them or they were or whatever, or they were kind of a sludge Doom label or whatever. Um, anyway, I got ignored and turned all of them and turned down from one. And I said, I, I said, I've got a 40 year history I'm in my studio. I don't need any money, really. And I go, I just want somebody to put it out. And I'm like, why am I being turned down with all this background I've got? And I I know I'm going to sell it. You just not, you hate money or something? I mean, I'm going to sell it. I'm going to promote myself. I'm going to hire a promo. um, I'm going to hire a promo crew. I knew at the time who I was going to hire, too. And I went, I I don't know why you would turn this down. And I tour. I do all the things that I would want if I'm fit to this day. When I'm going to sign somebody, these are the things I look for. They're very active on social media. Right. uh, At least like three platforms and pretty much daily. So they're active on social media. And I look for, I hope more than one of them. And it's usually the case that it's usually one person in the band that's really active.
perspective. The others are kind of in and out. But I hope more than one of them is. But the main thing is that the band is the demand under the band name is active on social media. You just have to have that. They're um, they're and I hope that they don't have to be touring like they're you know all over the world or anything. But they need to be playing out of state on a regular basis. Everybody gives me the thing of oh, but it's been a pandemic, and I go, you know what? You know why I signed Grave Next Door? One reason is because by golly, they toured all the way through it. Yeah, and yep, the drummer got it twice. He got COVID twice. While he was on the tour, he actually had to drive from Texas to the VA hospital in Michigan, where he's from, and which so. Uh, but by golly, they really did keep going, and I was like, man, that is pretty impressive. They're on there every day. They're on the social media every day. They tour, and I, but I, I tell the the, the I go, if you only be out of play out of state regionally and on a, in a steady way, you you have to get out and sell the album, and a lot of your sales are going to come from you selling it yourself on your merch table. Right. So. So, yeah, so I finally turned around and decided, you know, and I said, by golly, I'll just put the thing out myself. And you know what? I said, I started doing some research and I realized there aren't, I knew I would be a small label. So I said, I need a niche. And that doesn't work for everybody. But I said, I need to have to drop a plan to say, this is exactly what I do and stick to that. And um, that's what I did. I said, okay, got to be doomed. Boom. And then probably, or at least have uh, doom elements. And I didn't mind if a little bit of thrash creeped in because I understand it and I know about whatever. But since I've networked everything that I do uh, to doom bands, uh, clubs that have doom or magazines that are about doom, uh, or uh, social media or websites or whatever, you know, Dunes and Stone, Obelisk, et cetera. It's all doom, 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 doom. So that's my network. So when somebody sends me something going, hey, we're this, and it's new metal, I go, I can't help you. Yeah, no. I, I, I'm not networked for what you do. It's not that you're not great. You'll probably be bigger than anything I ever work on. You're just not doing what I'm doing. So I decided to make this. I realized there weren't a lot of like just doom labels. And there were some, and I, I, I'd been, you know, I'd sent out the stuff too. I began to realize, and I said, well, there's one in Italy. I started really looking, and I don't really think there is one in the Southeast U.S. that just concentrates on doom. And as a matter of fact, I started going, I don't think there's a, a whole lot of that in the whole eastern half of the U.S. The more I started looking, the more I realized there were doom bands on labels in other places but there wasn't a straight up doom I said you know what this is going to be a doom label I'm going to keep it down low because I want to work on the artist 100% I want to work with them hand in hand on the art I want to make sure that they're promoted so unlike other labels I don't just sign them and stick them out there and go, I hope that sells. Good luck to you. Thanks a lot. There's your album. And give them half of them and then I sell the other half. That's not how it's. You know, I've always I noticed mean, with your social media that you're very active out there and you're very, you, you, I try you to be. promote. Well, I mean, if I see, if I see usually one of your posts, it's, it's either, Hey, I'm on vacation somewhere or it's bands. But most of the time it's bands that are working for you. Yeah. My promoting. personal Facebook is a little bit more homey. 
it has stuff about you know hey right but I, I still someone. see your other stuff too I mean I've, I try to yeah but yeah. I try to buy different records one I have the Tommy Stewart Star Wheel face I'm talking Facebook then Twitter and Instagram is Instagram tends to I do bring in the other bands but it tends to be a little more personable Twitter I try I try to think of that as a place to put up news right so I'm always checking the other band sites for, re, for retweeting I'm trying to think of Twitter as a news thing I'll put up something personable every now and then when I just kind of don't have anything else and I go and I'm sitting there in morning coffee and I think of one thing and sometimes a lot of times I try to put for Twitter and for Facebook I try to put stuff that's not just information about those bands uh, share their news too and take you on their journeys but I also try to put stuff sometimes that would be helpful to any band like you know hey you know the you could do this and this has been working for me and maybe if you'll try doing this or hey uh you should read this you guys are interested in music is you should read this book right this, this has done a lot for me it's probably i was able to apply some things in it and it helped me maybe it'll help you so i'm trying to be um informative but also helpful to the scene and that's what the label does i try to be helpful to bands i'm just trying to break even here what, right. what i'm really trying to do is to help bands it helps me too it helps my music too to help the bands right now it's all kind of one sided because here's what happens I put out like um, so I, the way I try to do the bands is there's they have like three months promo campaigns that I put together they're basically promoted for about four to six months but the, the intensive promo campaign will go about three months and what I do is I try to make them where when one release happens another one pre-release starts so I'm basically putting out four bands a year. They did overlap a little last year, and it was like the three months things were, you know, they were coming out in two month increments. It actually got to be a little bit too much for me because I was trying to record the album, my album at the same time. Right. While I was trying to be fair and work real hard and give 100% focus to these other bands and help them. This is another thing I stress to bands when I sign them. And before I sign them, we have a Zoom meeting, and I talk of this as one of the three or four things we go over. I go, I want part of the purpose of this label is I want y'all to share each other's posts. Like, not just the band's, your band's posts, but I want you to share the other bands on the label's posts. I want you to network with each other and try to get gigs with each other. So, Dayglow Morning in Atlanta can be playing with, we have gigs coming up. Um, so, so, like, uh, the Art Bar in South Carolina, December 4th is Tommy Short's Direwolf and uh, Holy Roller from North Carolina, Dayglow Morning from Atlanta and Minerva from Columbia, South Carolina. It's four Black Duma bands. Yeah. So what I'll do is I won't just bring my merch. I'll have my little merch there. I'll bring a Black Duma. I'll bring two tables of Black Duma stuff. Put up the Black Duma sign. And I have a Black Duma table. So all when I go on tour, that's what I do. Or when I go to shows or when I go to Maryland Doom Fest, I happen to be playing at it this year. But I'm really there as a sponsor. The label. And, um, and a vendor. <laughs> so for the second time, you know, for the second time, there's a sponsor and vendor. So I actually have money in it. 
So uh, what I do is I, so anyway, so when, even when Tommy Stewart goes off and plays with Tommy Stewart, Star Wolf, Grave Huffer, and Grave Next Door, and we do like 10 shows together, what I do is instead of putting up a Tommy Stewart Star Wolf table, I put up a Black Doomba table, and all the band stuff are there, except whoever's on the bill. Okay, so like Sunday, Grave Huffer, it's a four-day event, Maryland Doom Fest. Grave Huffer's playing on Sunday. When they come in, I'll take the Grave Huffer stuff off my table so that their, their table will be the Grave yeah. Table. I take so I don't put their stuff up, but like so. But if you come to something and they go more in time, Mr. Starwolf, Grave Next Door is playing or whatever, you'll see Grave Huffer albums there. You'll see the other stuff on Black Duma will be there also. So I'm setting up a store. These are pop up stores, basically. Right. Um, <laughs> That's how I pay for the touring. In case right. anybody, helpful hack. I take a picture of it. This is what I turn in for my taxes is that Black Duma Records went on tour. There's a pop-up store. That's a sample of what we do at Black Duma Records. Opening for a short set, uh, 30 minutes, Tommy Sword Starwolf. Or not. But the main thing I'm there for is the Black Duma Records store. Now, because I'm there selling Black Duma Records and it's a business, I get to deduct the, the, the expenses, uh, some of the expenses of travel from taxes, and mileage, for instance, some food. See, this is important so, stuff for anybody that listens. If you have a band, pay attention to what Tommy's saying. You call it a business. Now, see, my case, I call it a sole proprietorship because I own the label. So what happens is when I go off on these trips, everybody's like, oh, we have to stay at people's houses. And they're like, why? I stay at hotels. You know why? It's not that I have any kind of money or anything, because I can deduct that from my taxes. The When I do my taxes next year, all that comes back off of it. The mileage for the 2,000 miles to go to Wisconsin and back, turn in the mileage or gas receipts, mileage works better, turn in mileage. And all that will come back off your taxes. But you have to be a business to do it. You can make your band be a business. Um, it works better for me because I'm a sole proprietorship of uh, Black Duma Records. And the Blue Ogre Noise Lab Studio and Tommy Sir Starwolf are part of Black Duma Records. So that's how it works out. The, the whole thing is an umbrella of stuff, of business. But yeah, you can if you if you treat your your band like a business, you can use those tactics. I don't know why people don't. The clothes you're wearing, the strings you get, buying new drums, taxes, all that. Why? They're, it's there for you to do. You're so you are actually supposed to take those deductions. As a matter of fact, people they're doing themselves. They don't know how to do it. I have a tax attorney who does it. He's deductible as a service. So you can even have your taxes done and the government will pay for it. Just have to know just on Schedule C, you uh, report that and it'll be taken off. All right. Well, hey, a question real quick. Um, you were talking about how you had so many of the bands together for shows. Have you considered any kind of like smaller festivals in the Georgia area, anywhere? You know, in people say that all the time. I just don't really want to be a promoter, but um, but I end up doing being a promoter, sort of, because you like, play a uh, show with all <laughs> your bands. Yeah, I mean, we did one show in Chicago that had five bands from the label, and there were four bands from the label the night the day before, and three bands the day after, and then we had the one coming up this got four bands in art bar right no four one two three wait a minute me minerva 
Uh, holy roller. Day glow morning. Day glow. Yeah, Grave Next Door's not on that one. Okay, okay, there's, there's four. I mean, it almost is a festival. Almost. You know, if we just throw in one, I have thought about it. It's just a lot to do, and I'm very busy already. Right. But I thought about, like, what if I had four label bands together like that and then pulled in a, a little bit bigger international that happened to be on tour if I could get them. Right. Like, I don't think Atlanta's the place because Atlanta's not where I'm drawing people the most. Right. Well, no, I think the biggest thing we have with metal in Atlanta is usually the... the well, doom. Uh, well, I mean, people think there's doom here. They start naming the same, like, three or four bands and, like, only one of them is on. The other three are just doing it for their hobbyists. Right. So I'm like, no, it's not really a doom scene, dude. No, no, Chicago no. has a doom scene. Maryland, the whole state has a doom scene. You're, you're, it's hard-pressed to even find a thrash gig there. Right. So anyway, so but I am involved, as far as putting on festivals, I am involved in the Maryland Doom Fest. Yeah. I'm one of, like, there's, like, six sponsors. There's one guy that puts it all together. But there's six of us that put money in it to make it happen and advertise it and whatever. So that's sort of, you know, so that's the thing. I, can't, I don't really have time to be the promoter, but I can help a promoter do it. If somebody else wants to get involved and handle it, I can help them make it happen. But but I can't but I can't be the whole thing because I mean it's I get up my daily day is I get up at like I start working at about seven in the morning sometimes six five o'clock a.m. for label stuff and I try to do that till about noon sometimes that takes over a ride through the whole day and but I try to spend the afternoons doing music stuff. So I'm working on it like this is seven days a week. So we're talking like five to ten hours a day, seven days a week, just on the label. Right. Just not just social media. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I have distribution I have to deal with. I have European distribution. I, that, there's a lot of paperwork there. There's accounts. There's this. Yeah, I'm looking at. You should see the top. Look at the poster for one my desk. And I have a you know Google sheet with every day has got tasks on it. 14 things I got to do besides put up these three seats for something and write them all up. And I've got two orders to do. But hey, you took the time to talk to me, and I appreciate that. That's a Saturday. That's, a, that's my day off. Oh, you see, well, you took the time. Absolutely. On your oh, day yeah, off. I'm going to find the time to do everything. No, um, I'm going yeah. to find the time. And I'm always going to talk to people. I think that's super important. And, and I'm humbled and grateful that anyone would want to talk to me about music or what I'm doing whatever I mean I, I'm kind of blown away when anybody even wants to do it if someone does a review and I see it even if it's bad I go wow they took the time to actually yeah. listen to the whole thing <laughs> for this 45 minutes they gave up of their life well, um, I hope they like it I think it's uh, for me it's talking to you is uh, comes from just that recording session of coming down there with Malvian Malvian yeah, the fastest recording. recording session in history actually I might have you beat on that because I might have one of the fastest recording sessions in history. I recorded a band recently. I've, I've kind of taken up into this. This is what's led me into the podcast is buying the equipment. And 
band, I recorded, right. we recorded drums for, it was a kind of a punk hardcore band, but we recorded drums in like 10 hours for 12 songs. It takes longer to record drums. People think that when they come record, they go, they, they always come busting in on the first day, like at noon, you know, the crack of no. noon, and they're all like, hoo, hoo, let's get our quick. Where do I put my guitar? And I go, we don't even need all y'all. We're just doing drums. We're just doing drums. Yeah. All <laughs> I, I need mean, was a guitar even, you guys don't even bother to come till halfway through the day. You're really just going to sit here, but yeah, because setting up the drums, tweaking it all out, and and, uh, and getting the right levels and all that—that's the first three hours, three to four hours. Luckily enough, for me, between us and our experience, you know, where, what we had—the band that I worked with—these are all close friends. That's why right. I did it. You know, I could kind of work my way into knock this. Knock it out. We, we knocked it out. Albion was quick. Albion's my fastest band. I've never. We got three drums. days and a total cost. Can I say the cost? Sure, I don't care. I think I remember it being six hundred bucks for the total cost. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't recorded anybody's whole album for six hundred bucks before. Most of them, with me, run about sixteen hundred to twenty-four hundred dollars. Well, Tom, you guys were a miracle. Tom Shirley's a great drummer. Um, you know, Martin, he, Martin, you remember Martin, the bassist, he plays guitar in this punk band. I mean, he recorded two tracks of guitars for each, you know, guitar in a day. Quick. We right. got the bass guitars, drums done in two days. Then we took just one day to goof around and we just did vocals that day. Right. We got Usually it. Usually the holdup is people are, they might come in not as well rehearsed as they should have. The other holdup up a lot of times is people being not confident about their lead guitar or their vocals. And, and normally, I don't know, you'd probably agree with me, the first like six takes of a guitar, it's in there. But I've had them come in and I, there was one person that came in, he had a 43 second part and did over 80 takes. And I kept trying to encourage him to kind of take a walk, come back, do this, do this, but I kept saying, you know, the first part, the first few takes is where I really thought you did the best. Uh, yeah, I, I had a moment where you said that to me, and I still go back and listen to that one solo, and I'm just like, what the hell does Tommy see in this? Because I'm overly critical about my own stuff. Well, I think that's it. I think people are very critical of their own leads and their own and I think when, when I sit down to do I'm not really a guitarist so when I sit down to do any lead or melodic parts on bass or whatever I kind of put myself into this devil may care mindset I just kind of do whatever the hell happens well I think that working with you kind of taught me something about that too because even if I perceive it as bad other people will look at it and go oh that's great because you're like oh that's your best solo man I'm like you're kidding no to you it might be oh I know um there's one little piece of the song Bloody Jars that Chris Abamani did. And okay, he was doing a solo. He was recording a solo. About halfway through it, he just kind of gave up on he he didn't like it again. Right. It's only about halfway through the solo, and then he began to he sat there and kind of waited for me to turn around and say, uh, you want to do it again? You know, stop it. But I just sat there and he just kind of kept he just kind of looked at me and shrugged and he went to boom. Da, 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 and he just tried to me. He goes, I don't know what to do. And he went, da, 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 and he, goes, he looked at me and went, are we done? And then he did some more lead stuff because he just couldn't help himself for jamming, which is how guitars are. And did it out. That's the that's the lead that ended up on the album. It's him just sitting there shrugging, going, "How about this?" And you can hear him on there. He's stopping. 
he goes, chunks, 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 chunks. It, it does a whole like melody thing. And it's just chunks, 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 chunks. And he goes, yeah. And it takes off again. And I went, that was brilliant. And he goes, I wasn't even playing anything. He goes, I thought we were like not going to record. <laughs> no, we recorded all that shit. It was oh, man, we're live. <laughs> no, um, I remember, um, you see, when you say that and you talk about that on the, off the cuff thing, it's it's funny. I think of, uh, I mean, most guitarists think of Randy Rhodes anyway. And a lot of people think of his solo for Mr. Crawley. But that solo, he had been in the studio doing take after take after take, and he couldn't get what he wanted. And Ozzy just looked at him and said, just play the goddamn thing. And he just, off the cuff, did his leads. And everybody's well, still you know, in the same room. I mean, he probably, like, a lot of his leads were probably well developed and thought out. They were. Take a walk, have a sandwich, come back, sit there and say, this is the one no matter what happens. And he just, unless it's just ridiculously bad, just do it, what it is, what it is. Sometimes you just have to take a snapshot and say, that's what happened that day. I could do it better tomorrow, but tomorrow ain't here. This is snapshot today. Boom. So, um, let me ask you real quick too. So, uh, cause I'm about to wind this thing down a little bit. Um, who were, who are some of the bands right now that are about to put out albums that you'd like to promote? On my label or? On your label, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, what's coming up is uh, we have, um, okay, Tommy Short Star Wars comes out September 3rd. It's in pre-order now. And uh, after that, we've got, uh, looks like big stuff on that is very big store. And then after that, it looks like possibly Minerva, Holy Roller, uh, Grave Huffer, and Take Love Morning. I think I've got... And then, of course, I'll come sometime after that. So basically, I've got so I've got like six recordings in queue. Um, right now, to get Tommy Stewart Star Wolf, it's only at Bandcamp. It'll spread out the distribution after September 3rd. I have already made a shipment to Plastic Head in Europe. If you want it, there's variants. So there's, um, for Tommy Stewart Star Wolf, there's uh, two different variants. One is uh, dark and the other. Everything's green. So one is the rotting sun variant. The other one is the green smoke variant. Right. Um, there are bundles where you can get both and you get percentages off. Uh, you can also get the CD or you can get the CD and a shirt. There's three different, there's two different shirts up right now. But anyway, for that album, you can get, um, and here's another really cool thing about it. So if you, if you get the one called rotting sun design, it's it's uh, basically swirling greens. It looks kind of like a comet, ex- like a sun exploding. Cool. Yeah, that looks like it's all green. Is it all right? Uh, if awesome. I, is it right if I tell everybody I've already got my copy? <laughs> yes. Oh, I've already started shipping out the pre-orders. I'm only one guy. I can't do it all in one day. So I, if I have pre-orders and it's a couple of weeks before it's released, I start shipping. Yeah. Um, and you and you'll get it. And it is a pre-sale. It's on sale for twenty two dollars. So for twenty two dollars, for instance. If you get the Galaxy version, you also what comes with it is a seven-inch glow-in-the-dark single of Shadow in the Well, back with Lilith Crimson D from the first album. You get a yep. poster, a couple of stickers, 
And sometimes I send other stuff just for the heck of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm about, I was about to say, pretty much any time I get something for you, I, I always get, you know, stickers. I think you sent me stickers, a poster this time. I've gotten signed cards yeah, from if you. Yeah. Order it, if you order it right now, if you order Doomsday Deferred, you'll, get, um, you'll definitely get your choice of variants. There's CD, there's shirt packages too. You'll get, you'll, you'll always get a, uh, well, until they're run out at about a hundred, you'll get uh, the poster and you'll get the, uh, a couple of stickers. Um, and I'm about to run out of the fun stuff, the, uh, the slip mats and the mugs. You didn't get a mug, did you? Did you get I didn't get a mug, no. I got the oh, slip okay. mat. I did get the slip <laughs> mat. It you is got the slip mat. There's two things that are not in Bandcamp. It doesn't say anything about it. And uh, you won't mess with it. <clears throat> These are things I got on short supply. So um, I just came on and announced one day, hey, and I, I showed it and I said, here's a mug. If you order, if you order this variant today, Order Rotting Sun variant today, you'll get a mug. Yeah, I saw you on there posting the mugs, and I was like, "Well, crap! I already ordered a copy." <laughs> I, exactly. Well, yeah, but you got the slip mat. I think that was a slip mat. That's really cool. That wasn't part of it. No, that's so, very cool. Yeah, that's the extra. I try to have extra stuff in everybody's pack, so you're already getting for twenty-two measly dollars. You're getting your choice of two variants, a single. If you get the green smoke variant, okay. So here's the thing: the sun, the Rotting Sun variant, is 180 grams. And comes with a seven-inch single, yeah, which is seventy grams. Okay, the green smoke variant comes with the outtake album. Um, I can't remember. Uh, uh, you know, the cold sun. What? What the hell is the name of my album? Uh, song outtake. Sorted song, <laughs> um, song for a cold gray sun. Yeah, I've got so many albums out. Do you know? I've just recently updated how many albums I've actually, my list of release credit, which includes production as well. A lot of albums I did, I on, I produced, but uh, a lot of played on too. I actually have 128 release credits right now. That's, that's impressive actually. Yeah. I, as far as full albums that I've, that I've been a part of. That it's I've just full albums. <laughs> full, well, no, no, no. That's including like uh, movie soundtracks and that's everything. Um, I, put out, I haven't really looked at it, but I think it's like 30 or 35 full albums I've been part of. That, I, that, I, that I've performed on, not necessarily produced, but I've performed on. Yeah, if you bring production into it, I've produced like something like 50 albums. So. Yeah, I saw where you um, you were, you had uh, gotten a little small role in a movie recently. Or was oh, it a TV man. show? Yeah. Well, too, I got one called A Murder to Remember, and it's super small. Anyway, I'm in the background. A Murder to Remember is a true story, by the way. And, um, yeah, that was an interesting couple of days. The other thing I got in is is coming out on HBO. It's called Dean Z. I should be in it to pretty good parts because who else? Uh, Rosario Dawson. There is a part where she's speaking and yelling at people, and she pushed me aside and said, "Excuse me, real mean to me. Excuse me, excuse me." <laughs> like that. The camera is the rolling camera that's backing up on a 
you know, in a little cart, like a giant golf cart thing, and stacking up, and she's following the camera as she gets off the bus, and then I'm one of the people that got her way. I'm supposed to fold in front of the camera, and she pushed me. Excuse me. I'm in We got to do that about 100 times. Anyway, I spent the whole day running at this bus, this Homeland Security bus, banging on it with drones of cameras and guys with cameras on their shoulders running with me, and I'm running with about, like, literally 50 other people. But the cameras are all over us, and you go up to I should be seen because, I mean, I'm one of the people who gets to the bus first. There's about 10 of us that are supposed to get there first, and we break through the the the, the, the army or whatever they are. Right. And, bang them. and what was funny about it, they told us to not actually hit the bus when we're beating them because we don't want to damage the bus. It's a real Homeland Security bus. <laughs> so what you got is like a ton of people suddenly go to this bus and I'm basically at the back door where there's there's a, a side back door where you would get in that would fold in. And I'm pulling in and can't get in. You're beating them and saying, let me in. Because a bomb just dropped. I'm in the bomb scene too. Right. Anyway, I'm beating them, but it's funny. We're supposed to not actually hit the bus. So there's this, everybody's wildly pummeling the bus and there's almost silence because nobody's actually hitting it. And we all look like, you know, we think our lives are at stake here. Your life's at stake. We want on the bus. And the bus pulls off and leaves us there. What was and, the name uh, of this movie again? It's called DMZ and it was a comic. DMZ. DMZ. And I was a Manhattan, uh, we were supposed to be in Manhattan, but we were actually at Underground Atlanta. Right, but it's going to be on and, uh, HBO Max, you said? It's Yeah, they had to stop. They did the pilot. I'm the pilot. They did the pilot. And I, the whole bomb going over was weird, too. That was fun. We had There was a camera that shoots out of a crane. It's just like 10 feet over my head. And uh, I had to, like, look directly at the camera as it went over. And then you watch it. And you look directly into it as it goes by. That's supposed to be you seeing the plane go over. And a minute later, uh, two bombs drop. Cool. Well, I'm in that shot. I know I'm in that thing. <laughs> anyway, I could have gone back. I did get called back when they started doing the rest of the series. I did get called back, but it was in the middle of, I um, I didn't feel safe about it because of the COVID stuff. You have to be COVID tested daily to be on the set. No, right. no, 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 no. I'm not going through all that. <laughs> It's about like having a nurse's job. <laughs> yeah, dude. Get up. Yeah. I already, to go to the sets, I already had to get up at 2.30 a.m. and right. be there at 4 or something like that. And they were, now you had to go earlier and get COVID tested before you went in? I went, no, 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 no. <laughs> it just said, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, you know, <laughs> just like, no. And they also told me to, um, that I would need insecticide, um, sun. I would need infected, uh, like 40 deed, and I would need sunscreen, and it involved camping, and I was like, you know, this is a, the same reason I turned down any idea of Walking Dead, is because I was like, no, I don't want bugs crawling all over me all day, no thanks, and, hog, and it was filming in July and August outside, this sounded like I was going to be very uncomfortable, I went, nope, 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 I'm not, if I'm not one of the main characters, I'm not one of the main actors, so it's not for so I got other things to do. Right. It was, fun. it was fun to be in the pilot, though, I went for two days, my sister's in it, too. All right, cool. So, uh, we had, we had fun just hanging out and set together and watching all the stuff, that's some pictures when you're not supposed to and all that stuff, not, not, uh, it's just a 
little bit. Right. Just um, a little bit. Let's see, what else can I ask you about here? Do you got any uh, old Hallow's Eve stories you'd like to share? Anything like that? No. All right, then. We won't do that. I, I loved Hallow's Eve, and it was awesome and everything like that, but we did have a the remaster Tales of Terror came out in January. Yeah, I got my copy from Metal Blade. I, I worked on that with them, hand in hand, all last year, all the photos and and the live tracks came from my collection and I had to do a little tweaking on it, whatever. Um, I'm the one who got to pick out on the vinyls. There's five vinyl variants. I'm the one who got to pick those out. It sold out pretty quick. So um, we yeah. sold like... Um, I managed to get one of the silver ones. Yeah, those were actually those. I think that was the American one that was more common and also the hundred eighty grand black. You like, and also so. Anyway, there's going to be more coming up about that. I'm not supposed to say. It's not anything, but it's just I'm not supposed to say. But I can tell you that. Well, when I want to tell the terror stuff, there's more coming. I've been working on Metal Blade stuff all year behind the scenes with Metal Blade on. Uh, Photos and this and that and the other thing, flyers, just anything. Uh, but a lot of I've been pouring through a lot of stuff looking for anything that could be somewhat salvaged. And that stuff is coming out. Well, hey, since you're working with Metal Blade, I have a small favor to ask. For any of us who are trying to get Cannibal Corpse on vinyl, could you maybe tell them, hey, we need some represses? Oh, yeah, I don't have anything to do with that. I mainly deal with, um, <laughs> besides, besides dealing with getting paid from accounting or anything, I mainly deal with my and our guy who's in Germany. We're basically, and it's weird too, because it's almost like we're a German. And the, the people who put out our stuff are really the German metal plane office. Right. So my, my A&R guy is in Germany. Oh, that's okay. who I talk to. And of course, he's very to the point. And he gives me, um, when we're working on all this stuff together, he gives me these little tasks. He goes, well, what we need is a statement. We can put on the, but now we need this, now we need that. And it's like, so there's no talk about other bands or anything. We're just kind of doing work. Well, if someone from Metal Blade hears this, we want some Cannibal Corpse represses. Not to go off subject yeah. to your music, because, you know, that's what we're here well, for. Well, it has been, has it been a while? Um, uh, they, just, that, they repressed um, Butchered at Burst for like that, what was I it? I think they show that stuff on Discogs because I know I've looked up. So a repress of say Death and Insanity about Hallow's Eve right now would be the 23rd or 24th repress of it. Yeah. Yeah. The other. But yeah, they're all, they, yeah, they repress stuff. I'm surprised. I just don't know about Cannibal Corpse. You should get, uh, see if you get Alex Webster on your podcast and he'll probably be able to talk to y'all about it. Yeah, I, I, I wish. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know. Call up and see. Um. Yeah, I've actually got a. Not doing anything right now. Right. I've got an OG. I've got an OG copy of uh, Death and Insanity here at the house. I picked it up at a, of course, Atlanta record show. So. (laughs) Oh, good. Oh, it's a Marriott. 
Yeah. Um, which yeah, one? Yeah, I've been to that one a couple of times. Yeah. Um, well, I went th- I went there to pick up a Nevermore album, and I just kind of saw that there, and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. I, you know, when I go to those things, I make sure to carry a, uh, at least $100. <laughs> because uh, you're going to go there for one thing, but you're going to see a lot of stuff. There with like, I think, uh, $200. I think 200 is about a good place to cut yourself off yeah my, go if I didn't my buddy came with me he didn't bring nearly enough because he found no, uh I, I think it's a thing take a couple hundred or don't even go because you'll just be sad <laughs> right <laughs> I think I, with, i'm the same way with days of the dead because i'm such a movie but <laughs> right but I, get, I limit myself to two autographs if i get autographs from people i like it too and there's a lot of people that i'd love to have a photo with and whatever like that but you gotta cut yourself off man <laughs> Well, while we're here, what's some of your favorite horror movies, Tom? Oh, man. Oh, oh, The Mist. I love that. I've watched it so many times, The Mist. Of course, The Shining. I'm just, you know what? It's so funny. I like, I'm very particular about what I like in music. And like, I like metal, right? You know right. what? I like yeah, about no. 20% of it. But I like it a lot. There's a lot of crap, too, though. That's how I am. There's a lot of crap. I tend to be almost kind of mainstream about what I like in movies. I'm not so... I'm the opposite. Like, uh, with music, I'm very underground and whatever, but... With, um, I don't even, I, yeah, I feel into it. But I, I'm very underground about music, but I'm kind of mainstream about movies. I like the same things that most people like. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit like that with movies, uh, especially the MCU stuff. But like with horror, yeah, I tend to lean more towards less of the B horror and more towards, you know. I do like really old, um, but I like old classics and everything. I, I love watching Spinguli on MeTV on Saturday night. Right. They have some, some Hammer films, and uh, of course, I love the old Universals and whatever. I also like a lot of the 50s B stuff. That's, that's awesome. Right. 50s and 60s, uh, which are basically just elaborate. I've seen Outer Limits episodes of from the 60s show that were as good as movies or, you know, right. the Wasp Woman and all that kind of stuff. Well, awesome. See, I, yeah, I love that stuff. That scene. So what's your favorite scene from a horror movie? Let's just go with scene. Favorite scene? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's hard. Is it, no, no. Actually, mine's pretty easy because it, it's, it, it's very rare that a scene in a horror movie actually scares the living shit out of me. But this one actually did it. Um, you, you've, I'm sure you've seen Evil Dead too. Yes. Okay. It, it's not as quote unquote scary as the first one, but there's one particular scene. You know where he's at the beginning of the movie where he's flying through the forest, spinning, right? Yeah. And then he hits that puddle, and his face is in the ground. Yeah. When his head came up, it scared me half to death, man. I screamed in the house. The remake? I love the remake. Oh, the remake they just did. Oh, uh, the remake of the remake of Evil Dead. One of my favorite scenes was towards the end when she's standing there and everything, and, then, and she rises up. And there's just all this fire, and she's silhouetted and whatever. And I was like, "Wow, that just looks cool." Let me tell you, um, it shows how far Sam Raimi's came. <laughs> I was watching. A, there was a panel, a House of a Thousand Corpses panel, right? And um, that's what everybody's. Um, my favorite movie or scene was and whatever and um Bill Mosley said 
that uh, he said the worst horror movie he ever saw in his life was The Passion of Christ. <laughs> right. I can actually stand by on yeah, that. Yeah, the one. guy who played Otis Firefly. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's hilarious. <laughs> he said his favorite horror scene was when... Um, when Jason picked up the girl in the sleeping bag and slammed her against a tree. Yeah. He said that was his favorite scene that he can remember, and he said that the worst horror movie was Passion of the Christ. And everybody, you know, everybody, you know, there's 100 people in the room, and we just all, like, died laughing. And I was like, yeah, you don't even think of it as horror. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. I think about, uh, when I think about Jason, I, I think it's it's either part six or part seven where he jumps out of the trees and triple decaps those paintballers. Oh, God. <laughs> I love that I scene. Even, that's one of my favorite kills. So long. I, I think lately, I can't even think of what I'm watching lately. I'm, well, mainly lately, was, you know, sort of, uh, again, with the dysfunctional future stuff, dystopian stuff, I love that kind of thing. So I just watched the entire Handmaid's Tale uh, up to date. Um, and I love this dystopian future sci-fi. It doesn't have to be crazy sci-fi, just be future. You're cutting out just a little bit on your phone. Well, I'll just uh, let's go. And thanks a bunch for having me on. I appreciate it. I hope I didn't go by. Oh, God, an hour and a half. No, he's going to listen to us now. Dude, I listen to Cornette every week, and his shows are like three hours, so I wouldn't worry about it. Oh, my God. My, my show with the, the highest uh, listens is the first episode, and it's got, and it's like two hours long. You never know. You can't, you know, you just never know. It's the same thing with having songs on your albums. You'll be, uh, nobody will, ah, that's not really the, one of the best ones. I like it, but I'm, I'm going to have it on the album. I'm not, and then next thing you know, people are bringing it out going, will you play this? Will you play this? Will you play this? And you're like, I didn't even know anybody's like it. So, hey, paranoid, right? Now i got to learn it. <laughs> paranoid. Now i got to figure out what I did. <laughs> No, my favorite song on the new album is actually that that instrumental. I mean, I love it. Uh, some people have brought that up, and I'm like going, it really is just a, it's an atmosphere piece. It's something that I could say uh, people are always asking me my influences, and I go, and, and you know, when you're in a band, everybody always asks you that. And uh, I go, um, early the early mid-Pink Floyd albums had a whole lot to do with me doing instrumentals of atmospheric searching for sounds, Uma Guma and whatever like that. That 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 instrumental in there, why and it used to be called What the Rotting let's see what it say. How the Rotting Sun anyway, I had to change it to Why the Rotting Sun because I had already re recorded it and mastered it a couple of times and didn't like the mastering. So I had it done again. And each time it was just a matter of office stuff. I had to change the title slightly so now it's just why the Ronnie son speaks in tongues. I still don't know why it does. But hey, the album as a whole is great. I've done spun it a couple of times. I've enjoyed it. Cool, thanks. You guys that are listening, be sure to check out Black Doomba Records. Be sure to check out Tommy Stewart's Dire Wolf and the slew of other bands that are on there. Oh, yeah, you're going to love the stuff that's coming up. If you're into Doom, I mean, the Black Doomba Records is the place to go. Yeah. If you know, I've already heard a lot of what these bands are put together. Minerva, so forth, which is M-N-R-V-A, by the way. Right. Up. And um, Holy Road, I've heard all this stuff, and I'm telling you, it's going to be really good. I can't wait to be promoting it. 
and helping those bands. And I mean, I'm helping them out play, but I can't wait to be promoting it where people can hear it. There's going to be videos. There's going to be, um, that's something else I do at the label during the like three months pre-sale process. I get them to release singles and videos like every two or three weeks. So you can build up, you can take a journey to the release. So you hear a whole lot of it before it ever comes out. So that'll be going on. I can't wait to get into it. I love, I love having a label. I love it. <laughs> hey, speaking of your label, do you still have a, do you still have copies of Doominomicon? Not many. I do though. I can see them from where I'm sitting. Oh, if you guys get a chance, whatever he's got left, I suggest getting a copy of the Doom Banomicon. It's a great sampler from his record. Uh, it looks like I got about 10. 10 lucky people can still buy a copy of this. It is a great yeah. compilation. Thank you. It's not just a compilation. I kept, I, I kept trying to describe it, and it was so hard to describe what I was doing with it was that what I want to do is a double album compilation, 13 bands on it. And what I was trying to do is show an umbrella, sort of like a, a museum, like a curation of all the different styles of doom metal. So there's drone on there. There's sludge on there. There's even a little crust on there. There's a little, it's sort of like this kind of doom, that kind of doom, that kind of doom. That's exactly what I was trying to do there. I wasn't just throwing a compilation. Right. Well, yeah. a lot of people just didn't get it. And when they get it, they hear it, they go, Oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Cause just the name doom and Ambicon, it's more like a, uh, it's more like a, a Bible of doom. Yeah, you know what? I almost called it something. Another word instead of that, I, I started to call it a, a contagion or something like that, and I didn't because there's another label who I respect a lot, and I'm friends with a couple of people who own it, and uh, that, that's what they call their uh, a continuum, a continuum, a continuum, yeah. a contagion. Um, something like it means a literary it's a literary term and so but anyway they put it on a compilation they're on like 13 that's what they call it so i couldn't call it that either way it's great the label's great you guys need to check out black doomba records tommy i really appreciate you taking the time i appreciate that personal story that's uh I appreciate that, it. That, that means a lot to me that you took the time I, to do this i love sharing personal stories uh, I'm always kind of afraid I'm going to upset somebody when I do, but I do like it. I like to hear other people's stories too. One of my favorite things to do when we go on tour, I after I get through playing, I love to go to the merch table and you know get everybody anything they're going to get, whatever, and sit there. And what I do love, and they'll do it to me at Maryland Beer Festival. They'll come up. I love it when they start telling me about themselves and what they do and what they. Um, it's really important to, I think, to understand, to form these connections with people artistically. Right. You know, and hear about them, you know, and everybody's got such a huge story. You can make an epic movie out of anywhere fly. So it's a lot of fun for me to go, or not always fun, but it's, it's very interesting to me to go and like um, have people tell me like what their day is like or what they relate to in the songs they like it so like, why do you like it does it relate to anything and they start telling me some story and it's awesome well tommy i thank you for taking the time guys uh 
be sure to check out the podcasts. We are on multiple uh, social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're I'm on Instagram every day sharing photos of comics and records, wrestling-related stuff. And, hey, if you want to support the podcast, we've actually got an eBay store where I'm selling tons of comics, records, cards, card game cards. You name it. What's the name of your – how do you find that on eBay? Um, it is Metal Thrashing Nerd. Yeah, it's just you type in Metal Thrashing Nerd, cards, collectibles, and comics. Or it's cards, comics, and collectibles. Christmas is coming. Yeah. Holidays are coming. Birthdays are coming. If you know a magic player. Cool stuff. If you know a magic player, I have tons of singles, guys. Oh, do you really? Yeah, tons of magic singles. Oh, yeah, I've got, I've got, I do have a singles collection. Oh, you, you, okay, we could go into magic, but I got to end this thing. <laughs> right, 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 right. All right, Tommy, it's been yeah. fun, man. Yeah, man. All right, do you have any um, early singles like Sabbath, by the way? No, I do not. I did just get the volume four super deluxe. Oh, my God, did you really? Yeah. Holy crap. We're going to end this, and I'm going to talk to Tommy about this. All you guys right. have a great day.